And I've been thinking about how we learn. Yes. How we know things, how we come to know and learn things, why, why we do what we do and how we learn. Mm-hmm. If you've, if you've been, if you've been in a DNA group, you know that this matters to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it reminds me of our seventh axiom. What, which we, is, what, what we is learn that? love through embodied participation. We learn yes. to lo- the, the things that we learn in discipleship to Jesus, specifically those kinds of things. We don't learn them by just sort of mentally running through facts in our minds or just sort of trying to club our uh, behavior into submission, but we learn through kind of putting our bodies into practice um, and uh, encountering new environments. And yeah, so we, we learn by practicing, essentially. Yes. Well, I'm reading, you know, I'm reading this patient ferment uh, of the early church by mm-hmm. Alan Kreider. Yeah. And he talks about how humans change. And he's talking about why, why early pagans became Christians. What was it about this small, marginalized, powerless, unremarkable sect that, that drew people in? And, and why, once they came in, were they changed? And we could just say, hey, it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then we have the issue of why there's millions of Christians who don't change. Right. If, it, <laughs> like if the, Holy the Holy Spirit is like magic dust and it just automatically happens, then yeah. why did it? Why does it happen sometimes and it doesn't happen other times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. So anyway, yeah, yeah. So he says this. Can I read you a little bit? Sure. This? Story time. He says the most formidable dis- disincentive to major religious change is always our social formation. And then he creates a hierarchy mm. here. He says, floating on the surface of our consciousness are our ideas and convictions. We are thinking creatures, and we may believe that ideas determine our identity and that decision-making shapes our ethical behavior. So this mm, is, okay. we talk about word, word and works in our, in our DNA groups. And this right. is kind of where most of us, how most of us are, are sort of unassumed, unacknowledged, tacit understanding of how humans form and change is through thinking things and doing things. Uh, and then he goes one, uh, one um, level deeper here. He says, if we have been informed by Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud, however, we will realize that socioeconomic structures and psychological realities also shape us profoundly. All of us are shaped by poverty or wealth or power relationships, and our experiences of our parents are potent. Mm. Okay, so mm-hmm. so this is then, uh, I think, uh, in the last hundred years, we've realized how important psychological realities are, you know, these right. uh, yeah. relationships, and mm-hmm. then also... Um, like our relationship to power is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's not just uh, that we're, it's not that it's just that we're like a blank slate in our minds and we just sort yes. of have these thoughts and they come to us and we, we just sort of interpret them rationally through this grid of, of, you know, this blank slate, we evaluate ideas on their own terms and then we decide what to do about them. So yeah. in the past hundred years, we've discovered that's not actually how humans operate at all that we're yeah. not blank slates, the way that our parents interacted with us, our social formation, um, all this stuff profoundly affects us in ways that we're oftentimes not aware of. That all, yeah, that all matters. And we've talked about that. We've, mm-hmm. we've, uh, we're trying to talk more and more about that. We integrate a lot of psychological insights into our DNA groups. And, you know, as, uh, as white men, we're learning about power from people who experience uh, it um, oppressively, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're learning. Okay. Yeah, that we yeah 
that we have a yeah, relationship so, to power and that affects what we can see and what we can't see. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think this is a, these things aren't scandalous at the table. Um, in fact, it's one of the filters I think that helps us clarify who we are and helps people understand who we are pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this is where he's going. He's not stopping there. He says, without negating these realities, French reflexive sociologist Pierre Bourdieu points us to another motivator that he believes is deeper, which he calls habitus. Oh, there's that word. There's that word. Now, habitus uh, was talked about by um, Aristotle and developed by Aquinas. He's drawing on Aristotelian and uh, um, Aquinas thought. But this is basically, this is the knowledge that truly forms us. It's more profoundly a part of us than our intellectual knowledge. It is, quote, corporal knowledge, a, quote, system of dispositions that we carry in our bodies. It is formed by social conventions, including the ways we do everyday tasks. Bordeaux points to our table manners, the way we use knives and forks, for instance, that at an early age we learn are acceptable and that becomes second nature to us. Mm-hmm. Habitus is reinforced by story, the little stories of our family and community, as well as the big stories that undergird our culture. Habitus is further formed by example, by our parents, peers, role models, people who have authority in our life. Above all, habitus is formed by repetition, by the sheer physicality of doing things over and over so that they become habitual, reflexive, and born in our bodies. He says this, quote, we learn bodily. The body is treated as a memory pad. There are things that cannot be done in certain circumstances and others that cannot not be done. This is knowledge that is not taught but inhaled. Hmm. Inhaled. Um, philosopher Jamie K.A. Smith puts it this way. Habitus is acquired, is learned by incarnate pedagogies that are oblique, elusive, cunning ways work on the body and thus orient the whole person. Okay, so then here's here's a final little thought. Learning habitus involves bodily movement, kinesthetics, in the engagement of the imagination, poetics, so body and imagination. It is habitus that constitutes our profoundest sense of identity that forms our deepest convictions, allegiances, and repulsions, and that shapes our response to ultimate questions, what we live for, die for, and kill or not kill for. Hmm. All right, there's more here to offer. I'll maybe offer some concluding thoughts at the end, but what strikes you as I read that, Ben? Yeah, I guess what strikes me is, um, you know, I think about a, a couple things. I think about our worship. I think about the way that we worship. Um, and I know that's part of his book as well. But uh, I think about the things that have become, you know, most of us at the table are new Anglicans and the things that have already become a, a little bit second nature to us, that mm-hmm. we, things that we do with our bodies that, um, that are more than just, you know, it's not like an empty, uh, what sometimes people say like an empty ritual, but it's a formative ritual. It's a formative uh, practice, you know, that I'm thinking about like yes. making the sign of the cross. A lot of us do that. A lot of us, you know, there's kneeling in our, in our worship um, at specific times. There's standing. There's, you know, a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is very bodily. And I, I think about the fact that we haven't been able to take communion together in the way that we normally do um, and how that mm-hmm. has been a painful and challenging experience for people to not have 
that normal reflexive practice, that bodily practice of coming to the altar, holding out your hands, receiving the bread, drinking the wine, not being able to do that uh, has been, I mean, and I've heard people talk about it as painful that they can't, mm. you know, engage in that. So anyway, mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. And I, I also think about our, um, you know, we just started this week to, to uh, offer uh, like an online a daily prayer three times a day. Yep. Um, and I think it, it speaks to that as well. Like what, what would be the point of showing up, you know, at a regular time to pray, uh, with people. And I think, uh, a lot of what you read there, uh, is why that matters that the habitus, um, of learning to pray, of learning to, at appointed hours, turn our minds, our hearts, our imaginations toward God. It trains us in this kind of habitual way to become people who know how to pay attention to what God is doing. Yes. You know, which is, you know, it's ultimately what we're trying to do in our DNA groups as well. And so I like the, I like the combination of, of being able to say, Hey, we're going to pray at this time. We're going to worship at this time. Here's what we do in worship. These kind of prescribed habitus things, but then also in our DNA groups, we learn, well, how is God at work specifically in my life through these things? And we learn to pay attention to those things. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, anybody who's in a DNA group has probably found out that the way that you respond to what God is saying to you and doing is you actually do something with your body. You actually, you know, you get out there, you have a conversation that you wouldn't have had otherwise. You, you know, you engage in some sort of practice that you wouldn't have engaged in otherwise, but it always has to do with your body. It's never just think about that more and maybe you'll believe it better next week. Yeah, right. Uh, Kreider calls that uh, mentalism, which is, <laughs> which is Birdo's term. Uh, I'm sorry, Birdo, his term. Uh, yeah. So, um, so let me let me finish this quote because I think it relates to where we are at the table. He says the early Christian leaders appreciated the sheer difficulty of religious change. Hmm. They attempted to change not just the thinking of converts, but the bodily deportment and reflexes of pagans en route to becoming Christians. This was difficult. Hmm. The Christian leaders recognized that even after catechesis and baptism, there were profound continuities in the social reflexes of their people. Their wiring was... You broke up there. Did you say profound discontinuities? No, no, no. The Christian leaders recognized that even after catechesis and baptism, there were profound continuities in the social reflexes of their people. Meaning, uh, even after these initiation rites people still had social reflexes that were hardwired under paganism. Yes. Yes. Right. So they became Christians, Uh, but culturally their bodies were still acting like pagans. Which I think we have the same. I I mean, I find the same thing in me. Um, I am ideas and thinking even maybe uh, psychologically and uh, sociologically like uh, a Christian, like Mm -hmm. the first two levels we talked about earlier, you know, Marx and, uh, and Freud and, and also thinking and doing like all that. Yeah. Christian, but in my body lives America. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I think we, I don't know if we've ever said this explicitly. I don't hate America. Uh, but America isn't the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's just a country. It's just a, well, it's, it's more than just a country. It's a like culture. There, there, yeah. It's a culture, yeah. So there, there are reflexes and liturgies and programs and assumptions and stories in America that are in tension at best mm-hmm. or in contradiction with the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, I, and I find that, uh, you know, for instance, just the consumptive 
the allure of consumptive desire that America is built on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the pursuit of happiness, if you will, that, that I, I find is a bane to my Christian social ethic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But you, dying, to, right. dying to self never feels like a good idea to me. Yeah. Because myself has, myself has been trained and ordered yeah. under a story that says you should have everything you want. Right. So even though you can sort of mentally assent to the fact that that's not a true story, what you're noticing, and this is what our DNA groups do, we it train still ourselves. Still my to, body. Yeah, we train ourselves to yeah. notice that. Like, oh, yeah. okay, I know that's not a true story mentally, uh, but what happens when you know the new gadget comes out that I want? My body is like, oh, that will make Ooh. you happy. Yeah, you yeah, need yeah, that. Yeah. You need to find a way to get that, or whatever it is for you. It doesn't need to be a gadget, but but you're right. It has usually in America. It has to do with consuming things by buying them or consuming people by using them consuming uh you know food yeah drink mm-hmm. that's gonna make us happy Interta- entertainment anyway yeah. uh, so i'm noticing this for me and mm-hmm. then he goes on to say this this is the end of this um yeah change was much more difficult than historians and theologians in the grip of mentalism think but it was not impossible mm-hmm. corporal non-conformity so bodily rebellion against the habitus of pagan culture yes. could be taught. And here's how he says it was taught. Christian communities worked to transform the habitus of those who were candidates for membership, tinkering with their wiring or even attempting a more far-reaching rewiring by two means. One, catechesis, hmm. which rehabituated the candidate's behavior by means of teaching and relationship or apprenticeship mm-hmm. and two, worship mm. the community's ultimate counter formative act in which the new habitus was enacted and expressed with bodily eloquence. Yes. So this is things you just said, friends, uh, Sunday worship, we're a Sunday centric church, uh, in, in this, in this way. Um, not because, uh, you pay Ben and I a lot of money to put on a great show for you to consume for 59 minutes. Right. Because we actually believe our liturgy is training. Yeah. That worship is forming us. That saying prayers, kneeling when we confess sin, holding hands out to receive the Eucharist, uh, folding our hands, uh, standing up, singing. These are formative practices that rewire our care another word for habitus is like our social character mm-hmm. right yeah taps into our wants and desires and motivators and yeah. what compels us yeah and 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 then like you said before our dna groups that's our catechesis yeah basically that's it that's yeah. what we fo- that's what we've decided to focus on as a church like we don't have a lot of programs or classes or things like that like what we do is worship and discipleship basically yeah because we believe that that leads to transformation. Yeah. Now, uh, maybe there's another podcast. How does mission fit into that? Yeah. And community, maybe. M- maybe we could do that for next time. Okay. Uh, what, what is, what is, how does mission fit into the worship and discipleship? Yeah. That's a really good question. People have, uh, well, we can save it for the next podcast, but it's a, it's a deep question and an important one. Anyway, for now, I think that's probably good enough, eh? That's good enough. I just, I'm, I'm feeling encouraged as I read Alan Kreider. 
uh, because I feel like there's um, he is naming in the early church the deep intuitions that have formed mm. the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's hard. Uh, you know, it's weird for me to be like, "Hey, we're doing it right." But I'm just, I can, I'm just like, "Oh, okay." So you know, it's always good for you to have like confirmation or validation that what you're doing isn't novel. It's not off the map. But, oh, okay, this is other language to name and describe the things that we yeah. have, yeah, the things that drive us. Yeah, and we didn't just come up with this, you know, like as, a, as an interesting idea, but maybe we're tapping into something that is happening in the body of Christ, you know? Yes. It's like a, it's a, it's a Holy Spirit kind of connectivity that is encouraging as well to see, like, oh, this is how the church grows. This is how the church works. Um, and we're tapping into something that has very ancient roots. So, yes. All right, friends. Well, that's it. That's probably it, huh? I think so. Blessings on your week, and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon.